This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode on the season of soccer and war, I thought we should talk about perhaps one of the biggest, if not the biggest, soccer competition or soccer match in the world. At least in my day when I was younger, this was perhaps the most anticipated match in world football that the entire world seemed to stop and watch this game. And this game being El Clasico. El Clasico is a rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid and uh, is another match that reflects real real world issues. A rivalry, a rivalry that was amplified through the Spanish Civil War and continued tensions of Catalonian independence and have further flavored the rivalry. So, people look to El Clasico as the Hollywood standard of all derby matches in world football. So why is it why did it get to this point? Why is El Clasico such a big deal? Why is it, why was it or it still is such a big game and how is it connected to the civil war to spanish civil war what's the connection between barcelona and madrid and the spanish civil war and if anyone knows a bit about spanish history that's sort of self-explanatory or if if anyone's aware of current spanish politics and cultural discourses this will be self-explanatory so for this episode i want to highlight three key aspects which influence el clasico to what it is today the spanish civil war we'll start with that Catalonian referendum in the last few years, if not more, and also the players that influence this game. Because some of the players that played in El Clasico really make it feel, feel like a war because some of the players of both Madrid and Barcelona are the best players in the world. And notably, when I mean players, I really do mean about the rivalry between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi in the El Clasico. Those nine, ten years have been some of the most memorable football matches in, in history. And when it comes to El Clasico, a little Barcelona heavy on in those matchups. But, you know. All right. So let's start with the Spanish Civil War. To give you an idea, the Spanish Civil War started in 1936, ended in 1939 with the fascists winning over the uh, Republicans. I want to use this opportunity to state that any war has a long list of slow burning issues, which eventually lead to war. For this purpose, I want to highlight what aspects of the war that added to how the fans might view the match and thereby influence how the match is approached by the fans. But the main thing that must be highlighted, what happened in Spain was a matter of which ideology can push Spain forward out of economic instability and an agrarian-based economy. Basically, what I just wrote there was that both sides of the Civil War had different ideas of how to bring Spain forward into the modern era. And both those groups had their own very different ideas of doing so. And also to give it on context, as I just said before, in this time before the Civil War, Spain had a lot of economic instability and was also an agrarian-based economy, meaning they mostly just were farmers, just like Italy at this time, really. The war started as a coup d'etat by the army under General Francisco Franco, with support from the nationalist an alliance of phalangists, monarchists, conservatives, and traditionalists. So these are just different factions which supported the nationalists. So I wrote down sort of like in point form of, of the events that happened, just because I don't want to spend too much time on discussing the history. Then when you do research on a Spanish Civil War, there's a lot of politics, a lot of politicking. I mean, a coup d'etat tells you more about the instability of the political scene than anything else. Anyway, 
So Francisco Franco and his gang overthrew the Second Spanish Republic, gang being, you know, his allies. Phalangists, which I didn't know what this means. I thought they were like, I guess, well, all I saw was phallus. But anyway, phalangists is a combination of different political parties. Briefly, they're anti-left, right-wing authoritarian that borders fascism. Okay, so they're like fascist light. Traditionalists use politics to place Jesus at the heart of Spanish society, a former theocracy. Yeah, that is. Madrid became a symbol of conservatism and monarchism. Obviously, Madrid being the capital, that's where the Spanish king sits. And conservatives value, I guess, royalty or royal values of the old days. Very similar to how, let's say, Rangers fans feel about the monarchy. A little more conservative. They like the queen. They like the monarchy. They like all that stuff. Keep it as is. The traditions keep it alive. Spain, similar. Very similar thing. Except there's a war that actually happened over it within Spain. So on the other side of the conflicts are the Republicans, not the Repub- not like the elephant Republicans in, in the States. On the other side are the Republicans that fought against Franco's military coup. They were supported in, in alliance with the anarchists of the communist and syndicalist variety. So they got anarchists who have communist ideologies and syndicalist ideologies. The base of the Republicans and their allies was Barcelona in Catalonia. They wanted to re-establish democratic institutions that were of and by the people. The civil war also contributed to national movement in Spain, such as the Basques and the Catalonians. As early as the 1930s, Barcelona had developed a reputation as a symbol of Catalan identity opposed to the centralizing tendency of Madrid, meaning they just were against the central government. In 1936, when Francisco Franco started the coup d'etat against the democratic Second Spanish Republic, the president of Barcelona, not the city, I assume the, the football club, uh, Josep Suñol or Josep Suñol, members of the Republican left of Catalonia and a deputy to the Cortes was arrested and executed without trial by Franco's troops. Suñol was exciting his political activities, visiting Republican troops north of Madrid. Oh, I think president of Barcelona, not the soccer team, but I, I, I'm assuming the actual city. Barcelona as a football club were actively targeted since it was a representation of progressive Republican values and Catalonian identity. Makes sense because sports as soft power is important for you to kind of quash. In, in periods of conflict, you want to minimize cultural artifacts or cultural symbols of the other team because that will always be sort of a rallying cry or a source of inspiration for people to fight for, fight for their causes. And targeting Barcelona is at the football club, rather. On the side of, if you want to call it security studies or security approach, it's a smart move. But as a soccer fan, you could see why this is getting really tense. That football is no longer just becoming a mundane sport to go watch on a weekend. It's becoming a space of... It's like the coffee shops in Renaissance Europe where... Those coffee shops in Renaissance Europe pretty much started this intellectual base that would go against the monarchy. Who they would come together, these intellects at coffee shops, and say, "Yeah, we have a mon- we have a monarchy system, or we have a feudal system. This is pretty stupid and outdated. Let's be more progressive." So some will use a political route, others will turn to revolution, like they did in France. It seems like here in Barcelona, in this in this case of the Spanish Civil War, Barcelona Football Club is that coffee shop where like-minded people who who have the same Republican values find themselves going to Barcelona Football Club, not necessarily just for sports, obviously that was a pivotal factor, but they're going to it as, maybe not just as a meeting space, but 
perhaps as a reminder, this is what we're fighting for. You go into a stadium, there's 90,000 people chanting and they all speak Catalan and they all are from Barcelona, let's say, or from Catalonia. Then you're going to feel a certain way and be like, okay, I am fighting for these people right here. For many people, Barcelona is still considered as the rebellious club or the alternative pole to Real Madrid's conservatism. By the way, this is something I pulled up from Wikipedia because I thought they this was well written. According to polls released by CIS, the Centro de Investigaciones Sociológicas, my Spanish, 10 out 10, Real Madrid is the favorite team of most of the Spanish residents, while Barcelona stands in second position. Interesting. In Catalonia, forces of all political spectrums are overwhelmingly in favor of Barcelona. Nevertheless, the support of the Blaugrana club goes far beyond from that region earning its best result among young people, sustainers of a federal structure of Spain and citizens with left-wing ideology. In contrast with Real Madrid fans, which politically tend to adopt right-wing views. All right, now we're getting to the politics of it. It's similar, very similar to Old from Derby between Rangers and Celtics. One's a little more right-wing, one's a little more left-wing. It's very similar, you'll see, between... Montreal, Toronto. One's a little more left wing. One's a little more right wing. Although the Montreal, Montreal, Toronto are both very liberal cities. They're just liberal in their own different ways. But that being said, they're saying Real Madrid is a favorite team for most Spanish residents. But it's done by a poll by the Center of Sociological Investigation. I'm just translating from Spanish. I guess the question I have is, does this organization, let's call it CIS, that's their abbreviation in Spanish, does CIS have any bias towards Real Madrid? Do they have any political bias? Are they, why did they say Madrid? Is this a legitimate result? Perhaps it is. Or maybe there's a lot more nuance to go into it. But it doesn't change the fact that what Real Madrid represents and what Barcelona represents. One's a little more conservative, pro-king, uh, or pro-monarchy rather, pro-monarchy, a pro-central power of Madrid, so on and so forth. And Barcelona is what you'd expect. Pro-Catalonian, more progressive, more liberal, more left-wing, in contrast. Obviously, with these ideological differences, conflicts will emerge. I mean, they had a civil war, and the Republicans lost, mainly because the Germans got involved. And the first time, I think the first time the Blitzkrieg uh, tactic, military tactic, was ever used, I think was used on the Spanish Republicans during the Spanish Civil War, because... Germany supported Francisco Franco for being a fascist uh, leadership. And yeah, so in, in the Spanish Civil War, the, the Spanish authorities or the Spanish army had been using a lot of German military tactics and techniques and hardware, if you will. Anyway, that's just fun facts for you. I'll be dropping fun facts a lot as we go, as I've always have in other episodes. So that being said, they had a war and the war ended in favor of of the fascists or of the right wing of Francisco Franco and all that stuff. And there's obviously a period between the war and t- until today where things have stabilized and the king has become more of a symbolic figure. I think he's, I don't know how long the king of Spain has been a symbolic monarchy at, like in England, perhaps around the same time. And today we have more of a parliamentary system with the king, I suppose, doing the same thing as the queen of England does, which is they advise, but they don't pass laws or vote on laws. In a time of bureaucracy where going to physical conflict is no longer the solution and seeking out a peaceful political solution alternative is becoming the new thing today. And this is where it leads us to Catalonian referendum, same as Quebec. I love the topic of national self-determination. 
Now, national self-determination means regions within a country trying to become separate, a separate independent state. So if you live in places like Scotland, Quebec, Crimea, and the Ukraine, South Sudan, which is now a separate country, you understand these concepts. These are parts of the world that wants to do its own thing away from the, the larger country. Catalonia is in, is in the east coast region of Spain. They have their own dialect. People would argue its own unique language. They have definitely their own unique culture, a booming economy. Before the referendum, I know a lot of the major banks were threatening to move, but I think it's you know, still a booming economy in Spain and one of the world's greatest football clubs, which is Barcelona Football Club. The Spanish Civil War and Franco's fascist regime have further pronounced the Catalonian independence cause. Anyway, in times of peace like today, the sporting teams have replaced standing armies. Matches are battles and the pitch becomes the battlefield. Winning El Clasico is re-winning the Civil War. According to Sir Bobby Robson, a British coach, and former coach of Barcelona. Being the manager of Barcelona is like being the general of an army. You cannot lose to Madrid. The pressure from the fans is very high. I'm paraphrasing what he said, and I forget which documentary I'm getting that from. Basically, in the last few years, if anyone's been paying attention, Catalonia has been going through a major referendum wave where they really want to separate. They, I mean, a lot of sketchy things happened that Spain has done onto them where they pretty much delegitimized their votes or don't recognize the referendum ballots. But... And it's, and it's got quite dicey and it's gotten really tense, a lot of protests, a lot of violent protests have occurred, even riots in Barcelona have occurred. And it, it's sort of reflecting the same issues they had almost nearly 100 years ago, which was they just want to do their own thing and split away from the centralizing powers of Madrid, in terms of Catalonia specifically. Obviously, if you run Spain, and if you are the prime minister or the president of Spain or whatever position, whatever the name of the head of state is, you don't want to keep Spain whole. You wouldn't want somewhere like Catalonia to split off. And I remember during these talks, the one thing that came up almost immediately was what happens to Barcelona Football Club if Catalonia were to separate from the rest of Spain. And that was a very real question because people in Spain view Real Madrid and FC Barcelona as legitimate political voices or influences I, I could be wrong I, but but it's clear the kind of space they occupy within Spanish society and Spanish culture so much so that governments pay a lot of attention to what these football clubs are saying what the fans of these football clubs are saying it's like a barometer uh, it's like a social barometer to know how hot is it out there on the you know on the streets if you know what i mean but it's that's what it seems like and then now that spain's unified and no longer separate kingdoms or no longer in a state where people are so easily and readily to go to war that soccer replaces that actual physical conflict i mean granted physical conflicts will always occur but in times of peace sports replaces that so every time every time there's an el clasico as I as I written here, it's a it's a replay of the Spanish Civil War in many, and it helps you as a sports fan and obviously as a, a citizen of a city. When you see your your city sports team does well, it almost justifies how you feel. It justifies and validates your city, and by that extension, by winning, it also validates your political views in some ways. Although these athletes had nothing to do with politics, but we tend to attach it to that as like that's how strong our political views are because our team is amazing. Some people would say, well, that's a little stretch, but I, I promise you there is an element to that. Perhaps not so expl explicitly as I've said, but I, I, I really do believe that people express their political sentiments through football. And every time you win, those sentiments are justified. And speaking of winning, let's talk about two guys who've further enhanced this rivalry and they made El Clasico 
kind of pretty crazy. And there's a lot of factors to consider in this. But anyway, let's talk about Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And there's a lot to say about the Spanish Civil War. There's a lot to say about Spanish conflict and Spanish history in terms of football with Real Madrid and Barcelona. Obviously, as I said earlier, these are all very introductory episodes that I'm just touching a subject that I would love to revisit. But there is one thing I do want to add before I go to Messi and Ronaldo is there's another important distinction between Real Madrid and FC Barcelona as football clubs and as and in terms of their identity. With Barcelona, their logo is uh, Mes, Mesque Un Club or Un Club or Mesque Club or something like that. I don't know. I don't speak fucking Spanish, Catalonian, but it what translated means more than a club. That's the like the motto of Barcelona is more than a club. And they mean that. I mean, everything I just said pretty much describes that, that they are more than just a club. They are a cultural representation of a people. They are the people's club. I mean, there. I remember when there used to be, when I used to have gold TV on my, on my TV, there was a friendly match between Catalonia and Argentina because Messi being Argentinian. So they had a match between Argentina and Catalonia and Catalonia as a sports team is unrecognized by FIFA. So this was a big deal. And Barcelona being the representation of Catalonia and Catalonian values and all those, you know, left-wing, left-wing and progressive ideologies, they've been more about, Barcelona's image has been about who can we produce within Catalonia. That's why their La Masia Youth Academy is one, is perhaps the best in the world. One of the best in the world has produced incredible talents and within my generation, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, Pedro, uh, Busquets, Puyol, Gerard Piquet, just to name the few, uh, Ansu Fati now. Like, there's there's incredible players that have been produced in this academy. You could trust Barcelona to produce something locally amazing. And that's been the Barcelona image. Local, keep it within Catalonia as much as possible, and then buy big-name players because, you know, it's still the, one of the richest football clubs in the world. So I talk about Barcelona, how it is representative of the people, and they produce within, they produce local as much as possible, whereas Real Madrid is the other spectrum of that. They have a youth academy. They have produced great players in the youth academy. Uh, Guti, Raul, Casillas are among the among the many names. Uh, they are some of the names that come right on top of my head because those were incredible players for Real Madrid in their time. But Real Madrid's thing has always been about superstardom. They've always been the Hollywood club. That's been their motto. That's They've always been about the glitz and glamour. The reason why they can buy the biggest name players in the world is because they can offer that celebrity status to any player who plays for Real Madrid. Any player who plays for Real Madrid has no social life in Madrid. And that's a fact because they're celebrities. Everybody swarms them. Real Madrid calls itself uh, the Galacticos or the the Galaxy because they're just filled with superstars. Cristiano Ronaldo. When I started Real Madrid, it was like Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema, Kaká, Raul, Guti, Xabi Alonso, Sergio Ramos, Pepe, Marcelo, Arbeloa came in as well, but you know, he was kind of a bench player. Casillas being a good one. This is when I started watching Real Madrid. Iguain at his prime. Iguain at his oh my goodness. Young Iguain was amazing. But this was Real Madrid. Uh you say these names, these are some of the best players from around the world, and that's what they try to do. It's a marketing club. They win by getting the best players and the best looking players too. Paris only seems to assign the most exciting players, players who don't play boring. So if you're, I saw a meme on online where it's saying, if you're a 19 year old Brazilian player and you do, and you're really good at stepovers, Florentino Perez will sign you, which is true because he wants to buy entertaining players. That's, that's his all. Who is the most entertaining player? And if you're good looking, that's better. And speaking of good looking and better, who is the best signing that, the best, best signing that Florentino Perez has ever done in his career? 
It's undoubtedly Cristiano Ronaldo for 98 million euros, which at the time was like a world record or 100 million euros. I forget the amount, but it's he was the most expensive player in the world. But at the time, this was an astronomical price. You're paying over almost 100, if not 100 million euros for one man. And at that time, it like the entire world of sports were going crazy. North Americans were being like, what? You could pay that much for a guy? That's insane. And rightfully so. He brought them four Champions Leagues and, well, I mean, like three La Liga titles or something like that. And like a handful of Copa del Reyes. But Real Madrid's been a club about Champions League. If you look at Real Madrid's early history with Florentino Perez, I mean, not Florentino Perez, Santiago Bernabeu and his team and with, and with Di Stefano and and Puskas, they've won five Champions League in the first year of the Champions League competition. Their whole thing is about Champions League. Their whole thing is about reaching for the stars and the impossible of winning everything as much as possible. You get a man like Cristiano Ronaldo who could do that for you, who is a winner, you're about to get some really good games. And then you get a guy like Lionel Messi on Barcelona who is just the purest talent. If you want a definition of pure footballing talent, it's this guy, Messi. Not to say he doesn't work hard and not to say that Ronaldo doesn't have talent. They both have talent, but Messi has a... It's the way he understands the game that is unparalleled. He doesn't... The way he dribbles is literally through space. He just sees gaps between players. He's not trying to embarrass you with uh, like outrageous tricks that someone like you know what Neymar would do. That's fun. That's entertaining. But Messi, what makes him special is he just sees gaps. <laughs> it's as if people... The, uh, it seems like the players on the other team are just like life, like huge life-size cones and he's just trying to dribble around them. That's honestly what it feels like. Ronaldo is the kind of guy who could... He just dominates the box. He dominates going forward. He, he's just power. He, The way he runs today at 34, 35 years old still looks the same the way he ran when he was 30 or when he was 28. Really strong guy. He, don't let him shoot from anywhere. And also, you better be good at headers because this guy's heading ability and jumping in the air is incredible. I've seen strong players get knocked over when Ronaldo jumps for a header. So you got these two beasts, Messi and Ronaldo, playing at two clubs that absolutely hate each other and have real life and real historical precedence where they don't like each other. And then you get Messi and Barcelona, Ronaldo and Madrid. This is a match made in heaven when it comes to soccer entertainment. The stakes are now much higher because you have two of the best players in the world vying for that supremacy and they're both playing for the two best clubs in the world vying for ultimate football supremacy throughout the world. Why do you think these two clubs are also part of the, the European Super League discussion? Because they can. They, they're the biggest clubs in the world. They'll say what you want about Manchester United and their financial clout, but it's unparalleled to Barcelona and Madrid. A lot of English fans would get upset because that's how the English are, but... I promise you, more people know Mar- Barcelona or Real Madrid over Manchester United. But I could definitely be wrong because it is still Manchester United. I remember when Ronaldo was still playing United and there was rumors of him going to Madrid a year or two before he left. And Messi was starting to become a name, especially after the 2008 Champions League final or 2009 Champions League final, whatever year it was when they beat uh, Manchester United. That's when people really started talking about Messi. His I remember those baby blue ad- Adidas, I think they were F30s or F10s, whatever they were. I remember him wearing those and, and I bought them. <laughs> I wanted to buy those pair, but I got like a different one. But after that game, people started talking about Messi being this guy is legit. The same way we're talking about Holland right now, or the same way we're talking about Mbappe, but Mbappe won the World Cup, so that's like you know, a very big deal. But it's the same way we're talking about Holland right now. It's like, yo, this guy could be the next big thing. And he already 
pretty much is. So when you have Messi and Ronaldo who are fighting for their careers to be the best, to be on top, and there are clubs that give, that can give them that space to reach beyond the stars, it's like it's really like as if Messi and Ronaldo are the nuclear weapons of these respective countries and are constantly using the nuclear weapons on each other. That's honestly what it feels like. And this is why it was so much fun watching El Clasico for, nine, for the last 9-10 years. However, at the same time, it's also diluted the competition because Messi and Ronaldo, during their time in Barcelona and Madrid, they've been winning everything. They would always make it to the semifinals of any cup. They would make it to the final of almost any other competition. But because of doing so well, Madrid and Barcelona would always play against each other at least three, four, five times a year to a point where it's kind of diluted. It's not the same anymore. It's still fun and exciting, but towards the end of Ronaldo and Messi's stay, I mean, towards the end of Ronaldo's stay in Madrid, El Clasico seems to, I wouldn't say wind down, but people got used to it, it seems. People got used to this this highest standards of El Clasico so far. Like, the year after Ronaldo left, and it was like the first El Clasico after Ronaldo left, rather, it didn't feel the same. You know, it's just these two players, Messi and Ronaldo, they know how to they know how to upset the opposition fans and they know how to upbring and motivate and just create a hysteria among the home fans of their respective teams. And this is why I kind of missed El Clasico of those days, because it was just it was so palpable, those rivalries. It was so crazy. You knew that anything crazy could happen. Like that huge fight under the Mourinho era where they had this huge brawl at the camp now and it just felt like the entire Barcelona stadium wanted to rush the field and like protect their players or attack Madrid players it was it was such a intense game but it was so much fun because that was so memorable first time I saw Mesut Ozil just freak out on someone I don't know if he was dissing him out in Spanish or in German but it was crazy imagine you were signed by Barcelona Real Madrid and you're a big name player and the first thing they tell you once you put on the contract is here are the things that we expect of you let's see I we expect you to score 10 goals at least 10 goals a year or we at least expect you to be a pivotal part of assisting or creating goals you know stuff like that depending on your position and perhaps another thing that stopped on a contract is we expect you to beat Real Madrid or Barcelona something like that like it's not lost on any player that that's the main objective is to beat the other now I remember watching an interview of Michael Bradley when he joined TFC and the first thing that they told him that the board of directors at TFC told him was you have to beat Montreal. Yes, win MLS, win this, win that. But above all, most importantly, you must beat Montreal. And this is the same, except the tensions, the cultural, political, and economic tensions within Spain is being represented through these clubs, it seems, whatever issues they may be. So I can imagine, let's say, clubs like Athletic Bilbao or Real Sociedad being you know, the, the symbols of Basque independence and Basque self-determination. Like Athletic Bilbao is a good example. They've only signed Basque players. They never buy international players. All the players in Athletic Bilbao are born and raised in the Basque regions within France and Spain. It's like you imagine creating an Aboriginal, a professional Aboriginal NHL team, but only signing Aboriginal players. I mean, that's honestly, that sounds like a really cool project. I would support that project, but it will be very difficult because now you're limiting your choices. And the fact that Athletic Bilbao has done that and never been relegated it never been relegated in their history is quite impressive. So as I just said, with three, well, now three, but with Barcelona, Madrid, and Athletic Bilbao, you can see how sports becomes a representative of local culture, customs, views, and politics, and whatsoever. And this is why El Clasico is so big, because those attributes are still connected to Barcelona and Real Madrid, 
and that's why these rivalries are still as that's why these rivalries are still very relatable but it seems like in today's time despite the rivalry between madrid and barcelona it seems to be more of a necessary rivalry because as football has become more business the people who run barcelona real madrid probably see each other more as business partners than they do business rivals they both understand that they need each other to make money or to, to stay supreme they need each other it's as if it's as if in religion what's the point of having a, like heaven or paradise if there isn't something to contrast that with i mean that's a very christian way of thinking but you understand the like you need to you need to highlight what is bad in order to understand what is perfection at the end of the day it's sports Real Madrid and Barcelona are international franchises that care more about the marketing exposure as opposed to a political cultural precedence. I mean, granted, we could debate if that's a legitimate statement or not, but that's what it seems like. However, it is the local fans of these clubs that keep those thoughts in the back of their minds. As I said earlier, like the fans put on these these tensions, these social tensions onto the clubs as a way to justify how they feel and to justify how their city is. What if the Detroit Pistons win the NBA or the Detroit Red Wings win the NHL? Right now, Detroit's doing pretty well, but at a time when Detroit, when Detroit was doing horrible, these two teams, if any of them had won their respective leagues, it would have been a big deal and it would have justified what it means to be from the city of Detroit. That it's not just a shithole where, where Eminem had to run away from. Granted, he's reinvesting, has invested a lot back into his home city. But as for a depressed city, and if you see your sports team win, it, almost val- it does validate that your city is still a legitimate city. That it does have hope. That it can bounce back. That there is its success is a taste of success that anyone needs. In the case of Real Madrid Barcelona, their success is who is the best in Spain and thereby... And by extension, who can be the best in Europe and the best in the world? And Real Madrid and Barcelona need each other for them to keep each other competitive at the highest of levels. That being said, watching a classical game is a dream of mine. I want to watch it in Madrid or in Barcelona. Like, that's any soccer fan who travels for any soccer games. El Clasico is that gotta be among the top, the top three of your bucket list. Doesn't matter if Messi's retired, it doesn't matter if Messi retires or Ronaldo's gone. It doesn't change the fact that. El Clasico will live on after them. They just created a chapter for themselves in the history of El Clasico. But the meaning of El Clasico and and the excitement and the tension that builds, it's still worth it because at the end of the day, whoever wins in El Clasico pretty much will go on winning the league title, the cup, the whatever. So if you're a soccer fan, you love to travel, this has to be in your bucket list. It must be on your bucket list. Will you get tickets? It's pretty impossible i mean if you get lucky enough you could probably find it but good luck if you do anyway that being said i i enjoyed talking about this episode this is a an episode that i really want to revisit again with a barcelona fan or a madrid fan who are from spain that that'd be ideal and secondly and before i leave i actually want to share a story i was in madrid around 2018 2019 i forget the year and i was there for a conference and i remember the first thing i want to do is buy tickets to a real madrid game and that's what I did. And the Real Madrid game is fun. And I think I've taught, I shared the story previously in, in another episode. But it was a really fun game. And I saw Zidane. I saw Benzema. I saw Bale. I saw Modric and Cruz. It was incredible. But I remember a few days later, I was back at the conference. I was at the conference. And we had a private audience with the King of Spain. I was a staffer at this audience. So all the staff members got to talk and meet to meet the King of Spain. And he's a good-looking man, six foot five, tall man, speaks 
like perfect English. I thought he was American. His English was was flawless. I think he studied in Boston or something like that. English was flawless. Obviously, I heard him speak in Spanish. Obviously, flawless. I heard him say a few words in French. Very good. I looked him up, and it, apparently, he speaks like five, six languages. And I remember in that moment, someone had asked him. I think they said "Your Majesty," which is such a weird thing to hear. He they asked,、uh, "What's your favorite football club?" And the king didn't. He said that was the most controversial question ever asked. And I and all he said was,、uh, "No comment. I can't answer that." It was a funny joke. Obviously, everyone is funny. It's funny because everyone understands how much、uh, football means in Spain. But and I thought to myself, what if he actually outright just said Real Madrid's my favorite team in Spain? The king of Spain said that. I mean, it makes sense. The name Royal is on the name of the the, the soccer team. So, but everyone knows that his. It seems like everyone knows that his favorite team is Real Madrid because his family is connected to it. But anyway, just an anecdote to share to end the story. All this to say, go visit Spain. Beautiful place. Beautiful people. Beautiful food. Don't eat paella in Madrid. Don't do that. Eat paella in Valencia, Barcelona, or Sevilla. All this to say, thank you for listening. I just want to highlight this because, just like Old Firm Derby, El Clasico has a lot of similarities with that, with the Old Firm Derby in, in Scotland. And I'm just trying to highlight how this, these matchups, historically, even contemporarily today, are really reflections of social tensions within society. And I hope I'm doing a good job at that. But like I said, these are all introductory episodes or topics that I want to revisit in depth with another person. And if you know that person, let me know, and I would love to have the conversation. So all this to say, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to share, subscribe that the podcast on any social media platform, and share it with your friends if you like what you hear. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jason underscore Gisu, Gisu spelled as G I S O O. And once again, thank you for being an audience. My name is Jason Kim, and this is Soccer Program. Thank you.